Hey everybody, Legs Malone here. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Lunch with Legs. I am so excited to bring to you my dear friend Shula Melamed, who you will be hearing from in just a minute. Uh, I'm really, ugh, I'm just so excited. I, I, I feel like I say this at the beginning of every single episode, but it's the God's honest truth. Uh, before we get started, I just wanted to say two small things. One is it turns out that our Amazon link that I have been shilling like it's my J-O-B for the last several episodes, it turns out we are only getting credits for the sales of Joe Weldon's book. So we are trying to get to the bottom of that so that we can have a proper affiliate account. But in the meantime, if you have not already bought Joe Weldon's The Burlesque Handbook, I strongly and highly recommend that you do so. It is the only book that is a proper how-to burlesque uh, that exists right now, and believe it or not, I am actually quoted in it. So by all means, please visit lunchwithlegs.com, click on Joe Weldon's book, and buy yourself a copy or two, especially if you know any budding burlesquers or boylesquers out there. It is a gift well worth giving. And if you feel so moved to donate to the Lunch With Legs podcast, we have a PayPal button on our website, lunchwithlegs.com. Again, look on the upper right-hand corner, and you'll see a little Donate Now button with lots of credit card icons beneath it. Please give what you can if you are enjoying this podcast. It is very much a labor of love, thanks to my fabulous producer, David Lawrence Bird. And I sincerely hope that you are enjoying it as much as we are uh, putting it out there. So by all means, please don't be shy. Give what you can. And uh, if you want a shout-out thanks to your donation, by all means, please say so in the notes field. I will be happy to acknowledge you as you wish to be acknowledged. Last but not least, I am very excited to announce that Lunch With Legs will be coming to the Burlesque Hall of Fame weekend in Las Vegas. That is coming up the first weekend in June, and if you are a member of the burlesque community, you know exactly what I am talking about. If you are not a member of the burlesque community and have no idea what I'm talking about, go ahead and hop online, visit burleskhall.com. It is an incredible museum and education center that is basically the center of all things burlesque in the United States and perhaps even the world. It has, the museum has a lot of incredible artifacts and sign headshots. And when I say artifacts, I mean the famous, famous props that a lot of the golden age legends and some of the biggest names in burlesque used for their iconic acts. And it is a nonprofit organization. They definitely need your support. And the Burlesque Hall of Fame weekend is not only the strip teasers reunion. I want to say this year is the 56th or 57th year where all the ladies who used to strip back in the day come back to strip again and to be seen and to meet the younger generations. But there is also the incredible, what used to be called the Miss Exotic World competition. The whole weekend used to be called Miss Exotic World. Um, I mean, the museum used to be called that too. Uh, But anyway, there is a massive pageant that happens that weekend and the reigning queen of burlesque will be crowned along with many other honorable uh, awards. And it is 
basically like the Burlesque Olympics. It's a pretty spectacular weekend. Dave and I are going to be doing an episode on it coming up, so I won't spend too much more time talking about it. But for those of you who are going there, please keep an eye out for the Lunch with Legs Cabana. We will be at the Sunday pool party, and you guys are definitely going to be hearing a lot more about that coming up. So enough about me nattering on about all things Amazon and PayPal and Burlesque Hall of Fame. Let's get to the interview. Shula Melamed is one of my dearest and closest friends uh, pretty much ever since college, and her path since we left school has been an amazing one, and I'm so, so pleased to have her as a guest on this week's episode. She is a budding expert on all things relationships, sex, uh, interpersonal communications, interactions, uh, and she also talks about her burgeoning work with the incredible Esther Perel, who if you guys have not heard about or read about, she is an extraordinary therapist, um, counselor, I don't even know what the right word is, she's definitely a therapist, a psychoanalyst, who is currently exclusively working with cheating couples only. It's amazing. The whole interpersonal relationship field is a fraught one (laughs) and a fascinating one as well. So uh, go ahead, get nice and comfortable, pour yourself a a cup of something good. I think I need to pour myself another cup of something good. (laughs) And get ready for my interview with the one and only Shula Melamed. Shula Melamed, thank you so much for being on this week's episode of Lunch with Legs. Thank you so much, Legs. (laughs) Ms. Malone. (laughs) It's going to be a challenge for you to call me Legs since we've known each other since college. That's true. You have known me through many different names. Yes, many different names. (laughs) And I refer to you with all of those different names. All at the same time. To different people. (laughs) But you're always going to be my boo, so you always have one name for me. (laughs) Um, I am really happy that uh, we have been able to carve out some time to have this conversation because I'm pretty sure you are the only person I know who is academically pursuing sex studies. Would you say that's an accurate statement? Well, I would say that, yes, I have done research with regards to um, sexuality, and I, I did take a very academic path for a while, and I was in that world. Um, and um, now I'm basically moving more into coaching and, and doing more kind of therapeutic therapeutic modalities. But um, yes, I have I have been involved in the the rigorous science of sex at times. <laughs> Such a rigorous science. It's a, it's very rigorous, <laughs> yes. But you know whether it's like studying you know risky behaviors and and mm. um, why people might engage in them and why they might feel good, um, despite, you know, common knowledge of what the outcomes would be, the negative consequences, or um, studying erotic dance-based movement classes and and how that affects women's body image and sexuality. So, So I've been involved in in um, that kind of research, yes. So. Yeah, you, I have to say your your field research is some of the most fascinating I've ever heard. I don't know anybody else who, A, went to nightclubs to interview people at the nightclubs oh, um, yes. when you were doing the stuff with, was it S-Factor, the poll? Yeah, S-Factor was <clears throat> the study that I did of women who take um, erotic 
dance-based classes is what I what I call them. Um, and then the other research was actually something that I did was a National Institute of Health um, research project on youth subcultures in New York City. Oh, talk about that a little bit. Because I remember you telling me about it as it was happening. It sounded like a lot of fun. Yeah, that was actually... Um, so that that was... Not um, research on sexuality, but I did end up doing work in in sexual subcultures, queer subcultures. Mm. And um, I ended up actually, um, uh, I ended up like, as an anthropologist, I worked as an anthropologist. I have a a master's in psychology and a master's in public health in sociomedical sciences. And psychological research is very different than anthropological research, but um, I got hired and, and it opened up like a completely different world, world to me, a different mode of inquiry. Mm. So, um, so I got trained as an ethnographer, and instead of giving people surveys or interviews, um, as I did in the S-Factor study, where I basically got the company to send out an email through their newsletter and I interviewed women over the phone or at coffee shops um, about their experience with S-Factor. This was me kind of just getting dropped out into the middle of the field and having to make friends with key stakeholders and, you know, uh, try to, to blend in and figure out what was going on in the scene. So that was, that was really fascinating. Um, and um, I ended up in one of the scenes... Um, kind of, you know, you have to find a way to become entrenched in the scenes um, so they don't think of you as kind of an um, interloper or, you know, somebody who's objectifying them. So I ended up um, becoming a dancer at at one of the parties. Um, A go-go dancer, yeah. A go-go dancer, yes, a go-go dancer at one of the parties. Um, Fully clothed, by the way. (laughs) Fully clothed. Not that there's anything wrong with unclothed dancing. Absolutely, but just in case my mom's listening. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, Or potential employers. Um, So um, that was a really interesting experience because... um, uh, it, that was in a queer subculture, sexual subculture, and um, you know, I found a way that kind of using my body as a researcher in the space in a way that was, you know, um, more engaged actually helped me, you know, become closer and find out more about the scene. And so, it, yeah, anthropological research is much more interesting because you really engage with, you know, the population that you're quote unquote studying, and in a lot of ways you know, you change the spaces that you're in, and that's really interesting, as opposed to doing, I guess, hard scientific research where you're supposed to be, and especially psychological research, where yeah. you're supposed to be very separate from your um, your participants. Mm-hmm. Um, you're supposed to be, um, you know, you deny that, that the human aspect of the interaction. You know, even if you give somebody a survey um, and you don't interact with them in the way that you might if you were, you know, in the field, you still kind of influence how they might answer questions. And especially with um, research on sexuality, that can be difficult because people want to be, to answer in a socially desirable way. It's really hard to get people to give you maybe well, 100%. being a beautiful woman as you are, I'm sure that might have skewed some <laughs> of the... Uh, uh, well, responses that you got. Yeah, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to put it out there that I do. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. So it's been it's been kind of it's been a kind of a wild journey because I started um, the way I, I started 
doing all this stuff, um, it was not in and not in an academic way. So like going into doing more research, psychological research, um, sexological research, sexological. Did you just say sex? <laughs> sexological. Sexological research. I'm getting my sexological research on. <laughs> well, there is a field called sexology. I don't know. It's, um, but you know. I like uh, sexiology. Sexiology. The study of being sexy. Sexiology. That sounds like, you know, something a 14-year-old girl says to herself in the mirror. She <laughs> trying to get all primped. Um, yeah, no, it was it, so it was interesting. It was interesting to to go there and learn a lot from you know academia and from some great researchers in the field. But you know, I've definitely come back to you know wanting to work with groups of people and and individuals as well in yeah. in less of a objectifying manner. If that if that makes any sense, like I. Um, you know, mad respect to all the sex scientists out there, but you know, statistics and all that jazz wasn't really your bag. Yeah, it wasn't really my bag. But I learned a lot, um, you know, through my coursework too, just about you know how culture and and um, family and you know government all influences you know our sexuality and how we feel that we can act on it. Wow. And, um, how how would you say our government affects our sexuality? Well, I mean, you know, I would say, you know, having rights to reproductive rights, for instance, mm. or, or you know, letting women know that they can access <clears throat> birth control and it's not going to be a problem. They're not going to have to wonder if their employer is pro-life or not. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, for instance, you know, gay marriage, you know, just kind of validating people's life choices or, you know, th- you know, sexual oriented not life choices but you know letting people know that you know <clears throat> if you have a partner who is sick and in the hospital and something and you want to visit them you know you can you know you have the same rights I mean letting you know telling people subtly that they don't have the same rights as everybody else is a way to control people's sexuality to mm. make them think that maybe what they're doing is not right you know mm. so um, <clears throat> those are those are ways that I would say that it's institutionalized, you know, control over people's sexuality. So, and then socially, it's like you know, <clears throat> expectations of masculinity, femininity, um, and how those expectations can limit people's possibilities of relationships with each other or expressions mm. of sexuality. Can you speak to that a little bit? That's uh, I mean, that sounds like a <clears throat> fascinating and rather juicy uh, area. Um. <clears throat> Um, masculinity, you know, man's not supposed to cry, not supposed to be, you know, emotional, um, not supposed to be, um, they're just, they're very, or there's no such thing as male bisexuality, you know, there's that kind of thing. So there's a lot of, you know, though, you know, there, there is a lot of privilege that comes with being a man. There's also some costs with that as well. And, and women, you know, of course it's like, expectations of, you know, beauty, um, traditionally, like, submissiveness, you know, um, Beauty ties to worth, too, I imagine. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, Joan Collins once said, being born beautiful is like being born rich and getting poorer every day. I mean... <gasps> Damn. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Spoke, spoken like a true, object, self-objectified woman. Um... <laughs> 
But Fucking hell. Yeah, so, <clears throat> and then religion, obviously, too. I mean, that's, I don't know if I have to speak to that so, so much, but, you know, just being, <clears throat> and those things kind of playing out in the family structure as well. So, yeah, so it was, um, <clears throat> it was interesting to be able to study with, you know, people who had written multiple papers on this and really thought about it in a rigorous way and studied it in a rigorous way. And, um, um, I mean, you know, but academia also has its limitations and that, you know, people are interested in um, really pushing their own agenda forward and sometimes they're threatened by new ideas. Yeah. Like my pole dancing paper was not very well received by... Um, some people that I had initially, when I initially started studying psychology and sexuality and, and body image, um, I came up against a lot of, um, I had a lot of, a lot of prudes. <laughs> yeah. A lot of prudes. First of all, you know, I, I, w I hadn't been to school and, you know, since I hadn't been to school like in seven or eight years and I came in with a lot of confidence and I have these ideas and I want to do this and, you know, I didn't realize how skittish and scared people were to talk mm. about, um, you know, sexuality or, um, you know, feminism in a, in a different kind of way. So, um, you know, I ran into roadblocks with that. I found some other people in the field outside of my immediate um, school that were interested in it. But... Um, yeah, I, I got questioned a lot and challenged a lot, even in my last program as well. So, um, uh, so that, that's that's interesting. But I guess that's in in any field. You yeah, know? yeah. I mean, especially with stuff as socially. I, I mean, I I want to use the word taboo, even though I, I mean I'm using that with a very light touch mm -hmm. with regards to you know sexuality. Light touch of taboo. It's very, a light, mm -hmm. a gentle sprinkling of some taboo. A tap. <laughs> of taboo. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good show title. Um, but yeah, I mean, some of the, you know, the, some of the more subculture stuff that um, I would imagine some of the members of academia um, who make up the institution itself are either uncomfortable or, you know, feel really charged around it, or there's stuff that they haven't been able to access within themselves because they have been studying their tails off since they were, you know, 16 and locked in the halls of a library when the rest of us were out making questionable social <laughs> decisions, oh but learning as we go along, yeah. you know? Yeah. I imagine that might have informed, uh, you know, some of that response. Yeah, and research is me-search, and if they're they're uncomfortable with these things, it's like, you research know... Research is me-search? Yeah, I never heard that before. No, I yeah. love that. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. Yeah, so it's, um, yeah, I think I, as, as an older student and as somebody who is, you know, like tasting and trying a lot of things before I got into academia, you know, um, you know, I could come into it with, you know, some street knowledge, I don't know, on the ground, like on, you know, yeah. in real life, and then also like bring it to the academic world. But yes, there are, there are times where you'll talk to some people and you'll be like, have you actually really, you know, gone out ever? Or <laughs> No, but there, there are a lot of, I mean, you know, academics are also like very intellectually curious people. So they, they have, um, it's not, it's not all, they're not all, you know, right, stuck, no, of uh, you know, stuck in the stacks or of course. whatever, in jstore.com or whatever it is now. Yeah. 
Um, I also want to ask you about some of the work you've done, especially with relationships. Okay. Um, and in particular, your work and uh, contact with the incredible Esther Perel. Oh yeah, yeah. So in addition to like everything else, I mean, it's like oh this is going to be this this t- this interview is like a blip on the radar of yeah. everything that you've done. Yeah. Um, so I guess I can start with um, the reason why I got into psychology, sexuality, um, research, all this stuff. Um, when I was in my mid-twenties, um, I was looking for a day job while I was pursuing, you know, a lot of other things, as, you know, as we do when we come to New York City and we're just surrounded by possibilities of wonderful things to do. And I wanted to find something that was, you know, interesting, engaging, different, kind of a little weird. Um, so I saw this ad for um, becoming personal assistant for a matchmaker, an upscale matchmaker. And um, I had no idea what this meant. And um, But it included event planning, marketing, all this stuff, and I had gone to undergrad for that. So I figured, wow, this, this sounds interesting. And, you know, I was getting offered a job at an advertising agency, but I wanted something that would give me a little more flexibility. So... I went in for the interview, and it was this woman who actually made her living charging people money to set them up on dates, and um, like had an entire supported her entire life and family's life doing this, and um, it was just like fascinating to me. I mean, this is probably where you know my, my anthropologist was born, really. But um, oh my god, yeah, yeah. So I got to I got the job and. Um, worked for this woman who was very, very, I mean, you can imagine the kind of person who would be able to convince people to pay them tens of thousands of dollars to be set up on dates. That's and so fucking crazy. Yeah, and, um, you know, they would disappear and get married and never, you know, tell her about it. But um, she was, it was very interesting. So I spent, you know, a couple of years um, planning, like, singles parties, bachelorette searches, dealing with these clients who were just, you know, just mysterious characters who would, like, live in five-star hotels and, you know, send us on these wild bachelorette searches to, like, Canada or Los Angeles or whatever. I I remember there was one client, and his parameters for a wife to be were so narrow it yeah. was shocking but it's not surprising I mean we live in New York City where yeah you know anything could be outsourced and yeah it was it was wild and I would interview the women who were the men at this point um, the men were paying and the women were um, would pay to be considered to be set up with the clients and and the women were not you know there were no slouches you know they were well how much was the starting rate? At that point, I don't even remember. At that point, it was like, I think it was like 15 or 20, and now it's like, I don't even know how much she charges. I think she charges like Damn. like 50 to 75,000, maybe Fucking even. Hell, that's so it was so God. crazy. It was so crazy. But, you know, I would interview these women, and they you know, were educated at the Sorbonne, speak like six languages, um, you know, just, you know, incredibly, you know, just people who were incredibly accomplished, but, you know, they were paying this this woman who, you know, was far less, you know, educated or, you know, experienced as they were in many different aspects of life to help them find love. And I just became totally fascinated. And 
I decided that, you know, I would like to go deeper with people on these issues of love, relationship, sexuality, and and um, help them figure out how to connect. It was just the most fascinating thing to me. Um, so I decided to go back to school for psychology and wanted to become a clinical psychologist. So I went um, to the new school and I was in for <laughs> a very big surprise about the amount of work and, you know, science and all this stuff and just had to completely retrain myself, which was um, incredibly difficult, incredibly rewarding. Um, but I decided to get more into research because just the clinical psychology and the the, um, the uh, diagnosing people was kind of like a, a challenge to me, you know, because you once you diagnose somebody, you kind of change their life because they identify with what that label, label is, is yeah. and that can become very, you know, paralyzing to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got more into the research and the stuff that we had talked about um, before, you know, the pole dancing research and then the um, um, anthropological research. Um, and then I continued to get a degree in sexuality and health from Columbia. So that's where I really kind of got deep with, you know, the social, cultural, political kind of nature of, you know, having a healthy sexuality and having a healthy, um, you know, relationship to your gender and to mm. you know you know how to take care of yourself in that way so yeah. so that was really interesting and then um Esther I came across Esther Perel's book in 2000 I think it was 2008 maybe it was 2007 I'm not sure 2008 or 2007 and actually um it was because my partner and I at the time were interested in going to see a therapist mm-hmm. ourselves. And I read her book, and I just thought it was the smartest and most original take on relationships and really um, sussed out the complications of, um, you know, being intimate with somebody and maintaining eroticism and and um, yeah, can you actually talk about that a little? Because I don't think everybody listening may well know. Even though the New York Times just did an incredible article on her. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah, can you can you tell our listeners a little bit about who Esther is and what her re- or rather what is her research all about? Um, well, her research is basically so Esther Perel is a um, psychotherapist and she's based here in New York and she is. I think she was a cultural um, psychologist before, um, but always a clinician in a clinician, you know, manner, not in um, a classic research manner, as as far as I know. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so she started just she started getting interested in dynamic of couples and and. Um, and was trying to figure out like why in this country like people are so comfortable with divorce and and mm. you know just um, just issues between people and what she found was that people are and the traditional kind of um, couples therapist will say things like oh you have to tell each other everything and you have to kind of share everything and you have to um, you know be just like attached at the hip and her her thing is. Um, 
you know, intimacy needs closeness and eroticism needs like space. And um, and what is this like conundrum, you know, that we're we're involved right now, and and how do we explain why um, there is so much divorce and there is so much dissatisfaction in in couples? Um, so. So it was just, I'd never heard anybody talk about it in the way that she did. And, and she would, she says things, she's working on a book on infidelity right now, and she says things that are very, very... Yeah, she has some amazing things to say about cheating and yeah. monogamy. And I mean, just really, I mean, in a way, revolutionary. Um, yeah, very revolutionary. And, and it's, I mean, it's, I don't know. I think, I feel like it's the way that it's been done in a lot of, it's the way that it has been done, but there hasn't anybody, been anybody who's been able to unpack it. Mm. And her research was done in her office, you know, and, and, and seeing couples and witnessing them, not giving people surveys and, and, you know, measuring that kind of, you know, I don't know, doing statistical analysis, you know. So it's real on-the-ground kind of stuff. So... Yeah, I just became I, I became very very intrigued by and you know everybody should definitely if you know if you're in a relationship or if you want to get into a relationship or if you're trying to understand why maybe one of your relationships didn't work out I highly suggest reading Mating in Captivity it really just and for I think it really speaks like across the board for for you know I think. Um, you know, straight couples, gay couples, any kind of couples. Any couples, you know? yeah, any sort of relationship. Because she's also now, as a th as a therapist, she's only seeing couples who are cheating on each other, right? Yeah, she's looking at only for people who are yeah in have engaged in affairs because that's amazing. Well, I mean, you can imagine that she has a lot to work. And I'm with. sure, yeah, exactly. I was yeah. just about to say her client base probably blew blew up. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, the thing is that you know. If somebody cheats, like, how do you, if there's infidelity in a relationship, like, how do you use that as a learning, a learning experience rather than something that dissolves the entire marriage? And, mm. you know, why, she also encourages people to look at their partner as, like, not a possession, but, you know, like you know, respect the other person as having their own sexual life and their own interest that has nothing to do with the other person and that that's okay. Like, we can't expect our partner to be, she always says, like, your best friend, your, you know, confidant, confidant. your lover, your, you know, whatever. You know, it's just, it's 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 a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot to kind of put on a person. So um, it's like what a whole village used to do. So, um, so I had the, you know, I had the fortune of like working with her as, as a client, which was, was really interesting and exciting and thrilling and, um, you know, and, and, uh, and, um, yeah. So, but now it's, now I think of her, you know, more as, you know, since, since I've stopped the working with her and, and the client fashion I think of her as more of you know somebody whose career that I truly truly admire because mm. she's just done something completely different with the field and, and completely changed the conversations around um, sexuality and relationships and and um, 
and to turn the conversation into something that's, I don't, I don't know, a bit less conventional. Yeah, I know. It sounds incredibly refreshing. Yeah, it's against, like, conventional wisdom of kind of like, well, you know, you cheat, you're out. You're a bad person or you're, you demonize the other person. No, it's not about that. It's mm-hmm. about two people trying to negotiate a life together. And I think that's, wow. you know, that's a challenge. Absolutely. It's a challenge for a lot of people. Would you say that her, because right now you are working as a dating coach. Yes. So Would you say her work has, I mean, helped feed some of the stuff that you are negotiating with your clients? Well, I think, you know, again, if, if people, I have, so I work as a dating coach, which means that I work with people who would like to have relationships or are having trouble um, navigating their their dating life or um, just not getting the results that they want. Mm-hmm. Um, I say coach because though I have a master's in psychology and a master's in public health, I'm not a, a clinician, um, uh, but I have worked with people for, you know, years, six years, you yeah. know, um, and I've worked as a dating coach for, for six years as well um, through another agency. But, um, so there have been times where I have worked with people who are already in relationships and they're in a rut. So I have to kind of give them, I have to give them the talk where it's like, you know, read this book and, and try to, try to figure out like why you've become so passive in this relationship. Why have you stopped trying, you know, to excite this other person? Why are you starting to you know, take their love for granted. You know, you have to show up every single day to your relationship and do something to make that other person feel special and make yourself feel special in that scenario, you know, mm-hmm. as well. So, um, so I would say, like, her work, <clears throat> you know, has influenced what I do with people who are already coupled and then also, um, you know, letting people know that, you know, intimacy and eroticism are a tenuous balance, and you need to kind of maintain that that tension too. Mm. You know, to keep things exciting or yeah. attractive. Yeah, keep things exciting, keep things interesting for for both parties. So, um, but a lot of the people that I work with are also just trying to get to the next level with with you know how they're um, how they're pursuing love and how they're like. Um, how they're finding it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Wow, it's so fascinating. I mean, the, how you've dedicated yourself to this. I almost, I, if you, this question's coming out of nowhere, but if you, it's coming out of somewhere. <laughs> it is coming out of somewhere. I'm gonna tell you where after you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you were to write a manifesto tomorrow, say about dating in, you know, the 20 teens, um, what would it say? Put down your iPhone. <laughs> nice. I like that. You know? I like that. Yeah, yeah. Put down your iPhone. Also, I thought about, actually, <laughs> before um, before Valentine's Day, I also thought about um, telling, you know, all the women of New York, at least, I don't know, um, or at least a lot of the women that I talked to, to just, like, not complain about how hard it is to meet someone for two weeks <sighs> before Valentine's Day. Just do, like, a, you know, a conscious 
effort to not do that, to not complain. Yeah, well, thought is creative. I mean, yeah. how many of those women are creating? I mean, yeah, I have to say, and I would have to say for, I'm sorry, for men as well, because yeah, I think absolutely. that I think at that point in January, I was hearing a lot from from like very beautiful, accomplished women about how hard it was. I'm like, just don't think about it for two weeks. And from guys too. I mean, my a lot of my clients are men, so you know, I have obviously. You know, I tell them to reframe. But you're saying thought is thought is creative. I mean, yeah. what you think you create. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I I'm constantly telling people within the burlesque community. There's a saying um, that what's the difference between burlesque dancers and strippers? It's that strippers make money. Mm-hmm. And I will rally until my dying day against yeah. people saying that because it creates a false sense of reality yeah. because there are plenty of burlesque performers who do make money and plenty of strippers who make less money than we would oh on God. an average night. Yeah. Um, so, but that just ties into the, it's like what you say you put energy towards and you create. So when women walk around being like, I can't find a man, I can't find a man. Guess what? You're not going to find a man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or men who are like, I'm never or men find. looking for, yeah, yeah. I'm never going to find, you know, you know, I'm never going to find a, woman I'm never going to find a man or for women too you know saying yeah. like I'm never going to you know depend it doesn't matter you know what you like to do with your you know what you know I mean it just you have to be um yeah have to kind of create the right the right thoughts around it yeah of course even and, saying like I wonder who my next partner is yeah exactly something like that and also just examining you know what I've I've done workshops um, with groups as well where it's like, okay, so, like, what do you think of yourself? Like, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? How do you feel about finding love? And just and just taking, like, a, a, a pulse and taking a moment out of, you know, your day-to-day experience and, and, and thinking, like, okay, like, what, what is it that I want, you know? And... And also doing it when you're in a relationship too, thinking mm-hmm. about like, okay, well, is this, you know, this is my life. This is this is a very important part of it. Am I, am I doing everything I can to make it as run as smoothly and pleasurably as it possibly can? You know, mm-hmm. um, how do I handle the challenges? You know, or disappointments, and how do I enjoy my, you know. Um, successes. So yeah, it's it's um I don't know. Put down your iPhone would definitely be put one. down your iPhone. Seems like a great title of a like how to date in New York City. Put down your phone. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's like especially bad for people in their twenties too. It's like I don't think that generation like doesn't even know what it's like to meet people not on their iPhone. Yeah. Um, we were I was talking about it with somebody where it's like everywhere you look, people are standing next to each other like. And they're, you know, you look so beautiful in the glow of that screen for sure, but it's not candlelight for sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I think that's a real problem for. Yeah, like how do you connect? How do you connect with people, and how do you yeah. take it like off of the the email conversation? And yeah. and a lot of the the people I work with are are actively using online. Um, online venues and this one client I had we were talking is like well I'm doing eHarmony I'm doing match I'm you know and I'm like are you like going to any events you know like or are you just kind of like setting up these auditions all the time and 
we're figuring out a strategy for him to go. He lives in a in a small town, but he lives one hour away from a small city that is filled with definitely very interesting, accomplished people. And I'm like, why don't you look, you know, and see if there's like an event that you can go to a charity event, something, you know, just to get out there and not just, yeah, not depend on it. Yeah, I feel in a lot of ways, I mean, the whole advent of, you know, everything on your iPhone or whatever your phone is, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a prosthetic isolation device. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just, uh, last week's episode with uh, Formica, Michael mm-hmm. Formica Jones, he was talking about how people go out and, uh, you know, you see all these people and then when you get home, you're getting all these like grinder messages or Tinder being like, oh, hey, I saw you at the party, da, da, da. And he's like, why don't you just fucking walk up to me and talk? Yeah. You know? And I mean, I, it's so funny how the phone can be such a crutch mm. in a lot of ways. I mean, I know if I'm going somewhere and I'm meeting somebody and they're late, which doesn't happen, I'm often the late one. It's true. Um, and it's true. And you, you have years of experience behind Years that. of experience. <laughs> She's um, worth the wait, people. Oh, thanks. Um, but, yeah, and, you know, boom, you pull out the phone, you know, or... If there's a lull in conversation or somebody goes to the bathroom, boom, pull out the phone. And I think it also has to speak to the level of stimulation we're used to and the level of, you know, instant gratification. Yeah. Um, which I think is, you know, to a detriment. I mean, it's happening absolutely to a detriment. It's 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 sucking out the various social nutrients we would have had, you know, a decade ago. Um, I mean, Jesus, I remember getting my first cell phone in college. I think it was senior year. And it was like a flip phone. Oh, yeah. Um, it wasn't a StarTac. That oh, was a God. little earlier. I wish I could have had that StarTac. Oh, my God. I'm pretty sure that could double as a murder device yeah. right now. You could kill somebody with that thing. Um, actually, no, it wasn't that big. But no. I do remember it was my little Sprint flip phone. And, I mean, there was no texting. There was nothing. It was just a phone. That was yeah. it. There was no camera, no nothing. And, uh, you know, oh, hey, look, I'm on a phone on the go. Yeah, hey, look at me. And now... It's my office. Yeah. You know? No, and it's good. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, people can, you know, meet each other on Absolutely. these apps Thank and you everything. For saying that. Absolutely. And I, I don't think, you know, with every, you know, dis- you know, it has a flip side, you know, it, it, it allows people to, to connect for sure. But then when people are actually out around other people, it's like, you know, just put it down and pick your head up and see who's sitting next to you and be willing to connect. Exactly. Or if you're out on a date, you know, I can't even tell you how many people have told me it's like, you know, you know, they were looking at their phone the whole time or they took their phone out and it's, it's, oh, Jesus. so yeah, it's like technology is going to be, you know, it's going to push us forward and drag us back at the same time. You yeah, know? totally. So <clears throat> do you have any, uh, for our listeners who are looking for love, um, do you have any advice? Um, definitely. <laughs> I mean, it sounds so hokey, and but it's actually beyond important is to to love yourself and to know yourself as as well as you possibly can, um, and and you know. <laughs> Sorry for a second. <laughs> can we edit this part out? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, you're yeah. thinking, you're thinking. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, also just, and just be honest with what you want and what you desire and what kind of life mm. you want. And, um, you know, if you can't do, you know, for instance, pick a partner who, I think that's outside. Oh, Jesus. 
Is it really Sorry. loud? Sorry. We have yet to have an episode of this podcast where there's not some noise pollution. So I was just making sure it wasn't one of the cats pulling a wall down or something. No, they're, they're really... Fine. They're passed they're out. They're passed out. Thank God. My voice is extremely soothing. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, pick a, pick a partner, you know, if you want to have you know, a, a long-term partner that, you know, you guys have the same vision. You know, people often think that, like, love is, like, looking at each other, but it's actually looking in the same direction. I, I read that quote somewhere. Oh, yeah, Antoine de Sendic's book. Yeah, that. yeah. That in my fridge. I love that. Yeah, it's so it's so true. You need to have the same same vision. And, and so getting clear on what that is for you is really important as you go and try to find somebody. Um and also, you know, if you have questions about, you know, love or sexuality or, you know, I don't know, you're not alone. There's so many people who have yeah. the same questions. So, you know, like talk to people, look for, you know, experts or there's so many resources online. <laughs> um, look at your iPhone. <laughs> when, you're, when you're out on a date, look at your iPhone and, and uh, <laughs> check what you should say next. No, but... Um, yeah, just, just, you know, love yourself and be very honest with yourself and experience things, you know, and um, don't protect yourself from it, you know, Yeah. which is, you know, um, don't protect yourself from it and go out and, and get it, so. One of my favorite um, affirmations and thoughts is my vulnerability is my strength. Yeah. Because I think people are so, people... Brene Brown talks about this. She talks about how people equate vulnerability with weakness, mm-hmm. but vulnerability is actually strength. And people are think, you know, a lot of people think, well, oh gosh, if they find out about me, they won't want me. They won't, you know, they'll disapprove of me. You know, which is, I would say, you know, a very scared little child deep inside of them thinking that. Um, when in reality, when you put yourself out there, it, you know, it separates the wheat from the chaff pretty quickly. Yeah. People are drawn to that, too. I mean, there are times Absolutely. where I do um, simulated dates with people. The first time I meet them, the consultation is basically like a date. You know, we go out and have a date and we pretend like it's just a blind date, not like I'm evaluating them. Right. And a lot of the times the after and then after we have the date, the um, client is supposed to kind of rate their performance and, and, you know, I give them feedback. And a lot of times, like the moments where they felt they were, they felt exposed or they felt Mm. a little bit embarrassed about what they shared or something were actually like the most beautiful moments where I actually got to see, you know, them. And Mm. I was like, that's, you know, that's what, you know, people are going to be really attracted to. Um, Show me something real. Tell me something real. Mm. You know, so. Yeah. um, Yeah. And it's, uh. Yeah, it's it's um, it's it's difficult, you know. It's putting yourself out there, and and um, uh, it it tugs on the ultimate soft soft parts <laughs> of ourselves. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. Totally. Um, just quickly, are you, do you need to go soon? Mm, We're at the forty no. minute mark. No, not yet. Okay, cool. Um, because I I wanted to ask about, I mean, just touching on what you were just talking about now. Um. I mean, I feel, uh, and I don't know if you would agree with this, that especially in America, there is such uh, a need, sort of like a societally taught need to conform yeah. um, mm-hmm. and that it's dangerous to be different. 
-hmm. um, and I feel that that instills a huge amount of fear in people which would lead to covering up, you know, not revealing who they really are for fear of being rejected. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, can you speak to that at all? I mean, do you agree? Do you... I think, you know, I think that um, it, there is that here. I think that mm -hmm. is that... It, is that kind of pressure to conform in many different cultures you know yeah. it's just a way of of controlling controlling people from you know doing anything that's that might be disruptive yeah. um i think you know we're lucky here in new york that we have a lot more freedom than in oh other places God, where so lucky to be here yeah the social norms are are very um, very constrictive, but you know, it's just it's used as it's the, the utility of that is to just kind of keep, you know, um, the majority who is <laughs> scared of potential comfortable and a minority that mm. you know, or maybe more than a minority that would like to, you know, explore different ways of living, um, you know, in in check and control. You know, I mean, I have. I know that actually, like now, like monogamy and non-monogamy is like a huge thing in in this field. Um, it's been really like people have been talking about how it's not, you know, that's actually the norm, not you know monogamy. Wow. And and um, I know you had um, the I, the polyamory episode, yeah. which is a, if for those listeners who have not yet listened yeah, to that episode, to listen, listen to, to it. it. It's so good. It's amazing. It's like, like episode are, fourteen or something. Yeah, these people are like living the life. I mean, that takes an extreme amount of break. A bravery and maintenance and patience. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm happy. I'm like, you know, a monogamist in that sense. I mean, I, I, I really respect those who engage in the polyamorous lifestyle because I can't begin to imagine how much work that would take. I mean, it's you know, super sexy and like a lot of fun, I'm sure, but. Whew, the new vocabulary. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's. Words. I mean, that's definitely just a. And 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 then they're probably their own, um, like means of maintaining conformity within that <laughs> that non um non-traditional way of living so um yeah i think that it's you know it, it's hard to um you know you have to be very secure in what your choices are in life and and you have to be willing to um acknowledge you know the powers around you that might be influencing what your choices are but like at the end of the day like really stay true to what it is that you know you would like to do mm. and I don't think it's just you I think it's you know there are many different cultures and systems in the world that are even far worse than and the conditions that we're living in here but yeah so and and people are always going to have something to say about the way that you live and the way that you love for sure. Absolutely. You know. There's a lot of projection out there. Yeah, that's oh my lord. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. So I don't know if I answered that question. Or yeah. yeah. I mean, it's 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 a loose it's a loose question. What do you think? Um, I mean, I it's I mean, thank you for saying that it is present in other cultures. I mean, going back to my original question, I mean, absolutely. Because I mean, I lived in England for two and a half years, and man, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love the British people. I loved living there. I have never seen a more socially freaked out paradigm than I have there. Um, the way people dated there, and somebody very bluntly put it to me, and every English person I've said to, I repeat this to, they're like, oh, yeah, that's totally the way it is. You go out to a pub with your friends, you know, big group of friends, you meet somebody, uh, you guys go home together, 
uh, a couple days later. (laughs) You guys all go out to the pub again. You get drunk again. You go home with them again. You're dating. Like, boom. Like, you get drunk and fuck twice. You're dating that person. Really? And to me... And, you know, I mean, to each their own, you know, that might work really well for some people. Um, But to me, it also provides for an enormous amount of unconsciousness around the creation of a relationship. Absolutely. Um, And and sex does not a relationship make either. Yes. Well said. Absolutely. And, you know, I've seen so many relationships based in sex dissolve in really ugly ways um, which is sad because the people will be wonderful and yeah they may have had a fantastic sexual connection at first but then when the real life still you know everything outside of the sex begins to come up you know a lot of the unconscious unvisited stuff within them then yeah. comes up and it's like oh well you know especially like codependency stuff and like you know, if a guy is really angry at his mom and a girl is really angry at her dad and they get together, I mean, that's like, you know, that's a that's a potential bomb waiting to go off. Well, that's where it's important to know yourself, too, and know, yes. like, okay, this person is activating, you know, this person Absolutely. is activating my, my daddy issues or my mommy issues. And, you know, I think Freud was, like, you know, not that right about... A lot, but (laughs) (laughs) well said. But you know, there are certain things that are you know that can be very true, and and you have to watch for somebody who kind of needles those parts of you. That's that's extremely important to know where if you're reacting from a place of like this person, or it's a projection of of some other issues that you're having. Um, Yeah, so it's it's. you know, it's you're working with another person, and you're working with yourself, and your entire history, and your upbringing, and your culture, yeah. and then your exposure to other cultures, and maybe that person's. So it's it's um, uh, it's not it's not work for the lazy. You know, like having a relationship is not something that you know you can do. It's not that fairy tale paradigm we're taught. Like you meet someone, you get married, and then life is perfect. No, that's nope. What, no, that's, <laughs> and you know, I I think you know I I had a. I had a really long relationship, and and there was always, you know, there were these people. I'd say relationships are work, you know, and and I I would always think, you know, that's interesting. I wonder, you know, does that mean that this person's relationship is really like tough, or you know, it's a bad relationship? And then I realized, no, it's like what I was talking about at the beginning of the interview. It's like you have to show up every day. Mm-hmm. You have to not take the relationship for granted you have to not take your needs for granted you have to not take that other person's needs for granted needs for granted and um their history their relationships their daddy issues mommy issues you know whatever other person issues um sibling issues sibling issues huge yeah so um that's where the work comes in and and um and it's worthwhile work Mm -hmm. too i -hmm. must say um and um yeah so yeah so i would just like to help people kind of navigate those issues and you know give them the right resources and with all of the you know education and exposure and and just and also just you know kind of latent curiosity and and exploration in these topics and uh, i feel that i've kind of landed this this place has kind of I've landed in it. It's landed on me. It's it's been really <laughs> it's interesting. Been a mutual co-landing. <laughs> yeah, it was really interesting. I mean, I think it was strange. You know, there was no that that one job just kind of 
opened up like this whole area for me this yeah. just intellectual curiosity it was beyond like doing these like home visits at guys houses or bachelorette searches and like getting into the kind of like the the theater of it it was just also like you know how do we how do we do this how do we manage this and how do we um maintain it as well yeah. you know how do we achieve it and maintain it and how do we gracefully you know part too if we have to <laughs> or unconsciously couple as Gwyneth Paltrow says no I think that was a conscious uncoupling oh. not an unconscious coupling <laughs> <laughs> no that was like your British friends those are your British exactly. friends at the pub <laughs> exactly yeah that's the unconscious coupling unconscious and coupling Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris subconscious um, speaking <laughs> recoupling oh my god yeah no totally so um, where can people find you okay so I you can just google me Shula Melamed S-H-U-L-A M-E-L-A M-E-D and then my um, as what would you say my my um, my title is MAMP um, M-A-M-P-H MAMP yes M-A-M-P-H I'm working on my website right now but you can find me on your tango and I'm also going to be a contributing writing writer for um datingdictionary.com hey, cool yeah yeah so that. just started doing that and um I also my website will be up and I'm going to be doing some workshops this summer and fall and I'm also available for one-on-one coaching I I, I meet um clients all across the country via phone or Skype or, you know, if you travel to New York City or I'm also willing to travel, but, you know, you'd have to contact me directly about that. So, um, yeah, and Twitter is at Shulamalamad. Amazing. Yeah. Do you have any parting words for our listeners? Um, do I have any parting words? Um, I think I would just... Um, encourage everyone to keep listening to Lunch with Legs. Oh, thanks. Because I think it's a fantastic <laughs> show. Thanks. And um, I just, you know, want everybody to be happy and healthy and um, super engaged, um, you know, physically, intellectually, and spiritually by their, their mm-hmm. love and sex lives. And dare to love. Yeah, absolutely. Like, go for it. Life is short. You know, life True is that. totally short. <laughs> and, True that. And um, we need to, we need something a little sweet, you know, and we need something sweet to work on for a while as well, yeah. if that's if that's what you choose. And don't don't let anybody else's judgments about you keep you from doing what you want. Well said. And if you need help, ask because it's out there. Absolutely. Yeah. Now more so, than ever. Yeah. So oh, thanks, Boo. This was awesome. Thank you. And uh, yeah, folks. Go, go find her. You won't be sorry. <laughs> Thanks, Boo. This was awesome. There you have it, folks. My interview with my dear, dear, dear Shula. I hope you guys enjoyed it, and I hope that it's given you lots of food for thought. If you want to find out more about Shula, I'm sure her website will be rearing its very sexy head in the near future. But in the meantime, you can check out her Your Tango profile. And that is literally like your, as in my, as in your, Tango the Dance, Y-O-U-R-T-A-N-G-O dot com, backslash experts, backslash Shula Melamed. I'm going to have that link on the website for you guys to check it out. You can also find her on Twitter at Shula Melamed. I guarantee a very interesting Twitter feed for all. I wish you guys an absolutely wonderful week or moment or next five seconds of your life. 
remember to breathe in the sunshine and just take a breath, another breath while you're at it because it's a blessing to be alive, believe it or not, especially if you're in relationship hell right now. Just breathe in. Pleasure is waiting to be had, my friends. (laughs) All right, guys, take care, and I look forward to bringing you a brand new podcast next week. Lots of love. Bye. Want some lunch? For your ears. Lunch with legs.